What we do here is go back, 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 back. Well, this is the podcast called This Podcast is Delicious. Exciting show today. I'm Marco Timpano. I'm Ali Hassan. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Ali. Before we invite our wonderful guests, I want to ask you, have you had a wine recently? Like in the last week and a half? Not in the last week and a half. We took one. We took a 19 Crimes to a friend's uh, barbecue. Yeah. Thought they might open it. They didn't open it. What are you going to do? They didn't smash it on the barbecue like, you know, you do on a ship. No, okay. They didn't. You know what? I'll be honest with you. The sun was shining. Okay. And I was was roasting and... uh, um, the Sapporos he offered. Yum. And and we're going to talk to our guest about exactly this kind of stuff, right? Uh, dispelling stereotypes yeah. and this kind of stuff. But with the sun roasting and these cold Sapporos in his fridge, uh, I was I was okay with him not opening a red in that moment. I said, you know what? A cold beer was, was feeling good. But our guest will probably tell me I'm a fool and should have forced that wine to be opened. I was in Halifax and I had a delightful rosé and you'll never hear those words come out of my mouth because I don't love rosés, but it was a French rosé at my friend Judy's apartment and it was beautiful. It was like, you know, early evening, the sun was kind of starting to set. She put out a nice uh, spread of, of snacks. You know, sometimes I don't even know who you are. Buddy. I know. Delightful rosé, a friend named Judy I've never heard of. Halifax, who are you? Buddy? Listen, you know me. I am anything but delightful. Yes, and our guest is going to find that out in a moment. But before we introduce, I just want to say we have the privilege of having a, what I call a wine tactician on the mm. podcast today. Not only, I'm so excited to meet this person. Hopefully by the end of the podcast, I can call her friend, but we'll see. Wine too consultant. Much. Too much too, 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 much too early. Am I trying too hard? Okay. Uh, look, okay. I just, if anything, I just want to get, I want to feel like I know what I'm talking about when I talk about wines. And having a sommelier a wine lover, a wine consultant, and a founding member of the nonprofit Vinequity, which uh, amplifies as BIPOC wine professionals in Canada, which is really needed. I want to welcome to the podcast, Beverly Crandon. Welcome to this podcast is delicious. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, I could tell already, this is going to be a fun session. I can see it. (laughs) And thank you for your understanding that uh, Marco is going to mispronounce words like sommelier uh, every single time he says them, even though he's a wine enthusiast himself, but uh, there's just no way. There's just no way. Maybe in Italy they say Somalia, and then that's why he can't uh, he can't shed his Italian roots. Listen, but it, com- it comes so- out of my mouth how it comes out of my mouth, Ali. What can I, I say? I know, I know. It's a crapshoot every time. <laughs> Beverly, thank you so much for being here. This is exciting. We saw, we, we both read and uh, watched a piece on CBC about you. Uh, Marco and I both sort of, we, one of us sent it to the other. We're like, check this out. This is great. And we were like, we want to introduce you to our listeners and, and put you on a, a platform and also come here to kind of educate us and our, 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 our listeners and, and inform us on, on what you do. So I, I want to start, why don't you tell people what it is you do for a living? As Marco suggested, you wear many hats. What would you call yourself? If somebody in the street says, what do you do for a living? Uh, is that a quick, is there an elevator pitch or is it like, sit down, you're going to need a few minutes? Yeah, no, I, I simply say I'm in wine consulting. Um, but, you know, I had a, a teacher say to me, you're educating. And I was like, I never thought about it that way with what I do. So uh, to answer your question about what I do, I, uh, I'm the founder of a company called Spice Food and Wine Group. Um, and so 
We focus on pairing wines with cuisines that are generally underrepresented in formal instances when it comes to pairing food and wine. So all ethnicities, anybody who I say seasons their meat for more than 20 minutes, <laughs> right? Yeah. They put a little spice. Those yeah. are the people that we work with and try to pair um, their foods with wine. And so, I mean, we've done events where we've taken over Mexican restaurants, Ethiopian, Eritrean restaurants, um, Thai restaurants, Indian restaurants, like it just, you know, obviously Caribbean restaurants based on my background. And we'll go in and we'll say to the chef, listen, make a menu for us, five courses, and then we'll find wines to pair with each of those, uh, those courses. And we try, I make it a point to not do like the regular wine that people say goes so well with spicy foods. You always hear people right, saying, yep. oh my gosh, you should use Riesling. Riesling's really good and Gorishtramina. I'm like, okay. Fine, been there, done that. But let's like take a lovely Chenon. Let's take a lovely Aglianico. Let's take an yeah. oaked Cabernet Sauvignon. Like let's do different things uh, and show how versatile our food really is and how well that compares. Well, this is, I'm so great you brought up those two wines because you're basically talking about me. For years, I was a caterer and a chef and um, the two things I wasn't super knowledgeable about, one was dessert just because I don't enjoy it the way certain people do. So I had maybe I don't know three. what to say about that, Beverly. I just I don't know, know what to say. I know. I just, so I would make, look, I had like, um, you know, Indian influenced food. So I would make a, um, uh, like a, a cardamom creme brulee, right? So it has this, it would be like a chai creme brulee kind of thing. And that was the one thing. And then people would be like, you should make this, you should make this. I'm like, I, I just don't want to get it. It's the same thing with baking bread. There's just certain things that take so much, I feel, study that I was like, I'm not going to get. And the other thing was wine. So dessert and wine is where I lacked. So I'd often pair, you know, pair up myself with somebody at an event who was, who was well-versed in that world. But you just described me. I would go Riesling and I, will, I would go Gewurztraminer because they are uh, sweet and tart and they would pair up to this spicy food I had. And I knew there was a, and then the other thing, I heard a, a chef named Vikram Vidge, and I want to know what you, what you think when you hear this. You know, I was helping Vikram Vij once, who's he's an Indian chef out of um, out of Vancouver. I was helping him at an event, and somebody once asked him, "What wine would you pair with this?" And he said, "Listen, you just watched me make a dish with uh, star anise, right? Green cardamom, black cardamom, cloves, cinnamon stick, cumin seed, and that's just the rice. That's just the palau. Then we made a curry. If you think you have the perfect wine to pair with this food, he goes, you're, you're lying to yourself. My feeling is the best thing to go with this is a beer. And that went in my head too, that maybe the best thing is a beer when you're making coffee. So that's why also, again, this is what makes me excited about talking to you because those are dated concepts and I know that, and I'm still living in the past. So I'm excited to hear what, uh, what you say to people like that, who say the best drink to go with spicy food is a beer, is a cold beer. What, what are your thoughts to that? So what you just described, like the dish that you just described. So when I hear people talk about the ingredients that they're using, and then of course you taste the food and you get what the, the really strong elements are in that. But from your description, I would give you um, an oaked Cabernet Sauvignon from South Africa. Yum. 
There you go. Because I'm going to do that because there's some flavor bridging. Are you saying oaked, by the way? Yeah, you are saying, I wasn't sure if you were saying oat, as in oat cuisine, as in high in French, or oak. You're saying oaked. Okay. No, plain old oak, a barrel. Yeah, yeah. Um, But nicely integrated oak. And I would do that because of flavor bridging. Because oak will impart into the wine some baking spices, but you get things like allspice, clove, sometimes nutmeg from that. So Mm. what you're doing is you're bridging these flavors. And I, I did this. I discovered that by accident one day at home eating curry goat. And I'm like, I only have Cabernet Sauvignon in the fridge. So that's what I had. I was like, whatever. Mm. Let's see what happens. Uh, And I was like, wow, that's really good. And so I served this uh, at a dinner I was doing. And I had a master sommelier who was there. And I had someone else who is a master of wine candidate. So, And there were other people, obviously, but those two were in the house. And they saw me pull out the Cabernet Sauvignon. They're like, this woman is crazy. But at the end, they're like, Beverly, that was amazing. You just have to try it. I love it. Is it fair to say the oak also stands up to the strength and the spice? Like it it doesn't get overpowered? The the oakness in that wine is like, you want to play that game? I'm playing it right back. Yeah, it, they work well. It's like a, a, like a dance partner, like a nice one, two, yeah. three. Uh, uh, you know, that, that lovely little dance routine that's happening in your mouth when you do something like that with flavor bridging. But of course, it has to be well-integrated oak. The oak can't dominate the rest of the things happening in the wine. It's got to be well-balanced. And so you do have to drink quite a bit of wine to figure sure. out who the makers are that do that, which regions most likely will do that because then you understand elevation and climate and all those things go into the bottles of wine that I pick. Okay. So Ali explained what resonated with him or what, why he was excited to have you on the show. One of the things that really resonated with me, Beverly, is when I was on your website, which is beverlycrandon.com. It'll all be on our show notes for our listeners who are like, they mentioned something. I want to, I want to check it out. We'll have it on our show notes. Your motto is wine should be inclusive and approachable. No one should be denied the pleasure of vino. And I couldn't agree more than that. Like, you know, there's a snobbery with wine. There's this, oh, you can't do this with wine or you can't do that with wine. It's like, who says this? Who says this? My dad used to make wine in the garage. So for me, when I saw my dad and he would tell me, bring more cases of grapes and it was hard work. And I was like, this is not something that I view as snobby or inflexible. It feels very blue collar, in fact, the way you describe it. Oh, trust me, not only blue collar, but you ended up blue from the fingertips to the elbow by the time you were done. Uh, Listen, you know, and a lot of that has to do with access. And so you've touched on a really important point. Um, A lot of people in the Caribbean or I'm, you know, India or uh, parts of Africa, all of Africa, they, first of all, the way wine was introduced to parts of the world was through interaction with the spice route or the slave trade. Right. And both of those things had, had a very painful, uh, in terms of what happened. Um, as a slave from West Africa, you would be talked about in the same way as a commodity like the wine. So when they're trying to fit as many slaves on the ship as possible, they will say things like, well, take the wine out of the hull and put the slaves and you know what I mean? Like they would talk about you like a commodity and that's how you would be introduced to wine. So obviously I, you know, if this is happening to me, I'm not going to think that wine is something for me. Wine is something for the person that's enslaving me. So although never spoken about as a written rule, like never drink wine because it's for them, but these are Mm. things unwritten that, that 
gets passed down to generations. Because you see, you don't see your parents drinking wine. They're drinking beer or they're drinking rum. Um, you know, things that they felt were more accessible to them. So, you know, you growing up and seeing your father make wine in the garage, I mean, if I had seen that or if that was happening in the, in, you know, if, with us in the Caribbean, mind you, it's way too hot there sometimes to grow, to grow grapes, then we'd be drinking wine as well. But it's, it's our introduction to it. And I always say to people, that is a, a, a jaded part of our history. And there's still systemic things that exist today and linger today because of that. But wine wasn't the culprit. It was the people, right, that did it. It's not wine. And I think the very same constructs are what cause people to say, well, your food doesn't go well with this, right? Because, you know, it's kind of making wine more elitist. It's not for you. It's, a, it's just an example of elitism. Sure. It's an example of trying to have like a them versus us. It's an example of trying to say, well, your, your kind is not good enough. And unfortunately, in our history, th- those types of constructs existed. And I think wine was a part of that. My thing now is wine is not the thing. Let's change a narrative around that. I mean, I always say to people, I'm not in a position where I can make all these legislative rules and laws and change everything. Running for president. Well, hmm. prime minister. Um, I'm not in that position, but I do know wine and I do know a lot of ethnic foods. And I do know that food and wine pairing is something that I can combat. And if I can do a dinner and show you how your dish from your background goes so wonderful with this wine you never thought of, then I hope someone at that table is going to say, well, why haven't we done this before? And then that's when you start to get some really interesting conversations about you know, some levels of divisiveness, some levels of our history that caused that. But because you're doing it over food and wine, I find the conversations are a bit more amiable. Right. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and you start to learn that there's more similarities between us and there are differences. Love that. Through Love wine that. and food. And oh, you know, yeah. it's funny, 30 Preaching years ago. Choir on that. Totally. 30 yeah. years ago, when I was working in restaurants in New York City, across, across Canada, when we had a sommelier in the restaurant, they did not look like you. They were old, white, slightly decrepit. A lot of them had limps. These kind of men were Somaliers. And you're really disrupting. Like now we're seeing Somaliers of different genders, uh, different ethnicities, uh, different backgrounds. And this is a wonderful thing to see. And I know as a w- person who enjoys wine, I love seeing that. I love someone who who takes a different approach, who isn't that sort of old white man who kind of thinks he knows more than you when it comes to just about everything. So actually on that note, Beverly, I wanted to ask you, your parents, do they hail from, from Trinidad originally in the Caribbean? Guyana. Guyana. So I spent a little over a week in, in Trinidad and uh, it was a wedding uh, or, you know, four days of it was a wedding and these were people with some money. And to your point, never once was there wine anywhere. It was a wedding. Like if not a wedding, then where? But there was stag, a man's beers. There was uh, rum, obviously. And then there was scotch and coconut water. And this was like a people with money at a wedding that was like, you know, expenses were not spared. So how did you get into wine? Was it introduced to you by your family or was it something just as a young person? Was it ever in your home? Uh, on special occasions, my parents would purchase wine, but they would purchase 
like that really, really, really sweet, syrupy, sweet wine. I was like, oh God. And mm. even as a child, when you would sneak and try some, I was like, mm, I don't think I like that. Anyhow, yeah. that's what they would drink, but not often. And they would oftentimes too, like leave this wine in the fridge. And it's like now eight weeks have passed. Someone comes over, like, oh, would you like some wine? They would just serve them this old stale wine. I'm like, that is ridiculous. But they didn't know, right? They, they drink rum and beer and that was what they knew. Like my father could talk to you about all of the El Dorado beer, um, rum story and what's the mm. best between 5, 10, 12, 21. He can birth you and school you in that stuff, but wine they didn't know. So for me, it was my first job out of university. I landed this role um, where I was responsible for schmoozing like large clients. And I'm in my 20s. I know nothing about wine because, you know, university, you don't have lots of money and you drink questionable things but anyhow yes so i'm at dinner with this client from california he was from san rafael and he was really really into wine and he said beverly i'm going to order two different wines bottles of wine for our meal tonight and i was like that seems a little like over over the top but he wasn't paying for it the company was paying for it so he was like this is what we're going to do and he explained why he was doing that because we were having a tasting menu. And so he's like, this is going to go really great with these particular dishes and this with those dishes. I was like, whatever, I'm going to do it. And then watching him explain like each course and how the wine is interacting and so on and his passion behind it, that's what got me curious uh, and into wine. So it was someone introducing wine to me um, just out of university but it was their passion and their passion around food and wine pairing that got me stoked. Do you remember what those wines were? I don't. Okay. I know they were both from California because okay. that was his jam. Um, mm. So it was probably like a, like a Cabernet Sauvignon and maybe probably like a, a, a Sauvignon Blanc from that region. If I think about what we have in market here from there or a Chardonnay from that region. So what do you say to people who are listening, young people in their 20s? who've never approached wine, feel like it's, you know, not in their wheelhouse. They didn't grow up with wine and they're scared to even order a wine. What would be your advice to them? Really? It's all about what you like. You know, you'll, you'll hear people who are wine writers say things like, Oh, I get quince and there's some gooseberry. And I don't know why I make that voice when I make fun of wine. This is how I think that that's the um, hearing voice. That's the Somalia yeah. voice. I remember when I was waitering right? 30 years ago. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And you get the dried earth and the rocks and I'm like, dude, stop it. Like, come on. Um, but wine is, is about bringing to mind your personal memories and experiences. It's not someone else's. Right. So I would say the, don't be afraid about picking up your wine and, and finding a wine or ordering a wine. It's really a personal choice of what your palate enjoys. What you enjoy is not what, I, what, what I'm going to enjoy. Mm. And that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. And whatever makes your meal feel like a more harmonious experience in the, in the mouth, do that. You know, it's interesting what you've been talking about the last five minutes really reminds me of, um, uh, you know, when somebody says something like, I don't, um, I- I'm allergic to curry. And you're like, in my head, I'm like, nah, you're probably just racist. Because curry is very diverse, all right? Thai curry, Jamaican curry, uh, Indian curry. And India has a billion people. The curry is so different from top to bottom, right? So it's like to say, to lump curry in one thing, you just haven't tried enough of it. And and the same thing exactly. to be like, I don't like wine. What you're suggesting right now is like, you haven't even scratched the surface probably is what's going on. 
Exactly. And I remember uh, you just said questionable choices in university. So I just, I remember uh, thinking about my upbringing. Here we we go. go. No, no, no. Questionable choices. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the way, it it reminds me a little bit what you're talking about, about gin for me. Hmm. So in our house growing up, my dad always had one gin beef eater. He said, you know, sometimes my friend's wives come over. So right away as a young person, I go, okay, so gin is a lady's drink, right? Number two, my father, actually a problem drinker. But you know what? Mm -hmm. The beef eater never went down. My dad was like, I got a problem, but I don't got that much of a problem. So I'm like, okay, gin is for ladies and even alcoholics will not touch gin. This is my training. This is what I'm learning over the years. Then university, one of our friends was like, let's just drink something different. Let's have something different. Shots, shots, shots. And he says to the bartender, five shots of gin. And even the bartender was like, you sure about that? And he's like, five shots of gin. And so anyway, if you've ever had like a shot of gin, you're like, oh, God. Again, that put me back another five years off of gin. And now on a summery day, like a cocktail with gin, it's like, where you been all my life? But it was me and my own training. And so I just think about this person you met and the way they spoke to you and the way they taught and the words they used that were not snobbish and the passion with which they spoke. It's it's everything. It's everything. And it can also, not having that can deny you of something so great for so many years or sometimes an entire lifetime. Exactly. And if you look at Canada uh, and then hone down even more so into Ontario and you look at our community, And you look at how the community has changed in terms of um, percentage of uh, immigrants or second generation and and so on versus European or Canadian white. Okay, that gets changing. So if people continue to speak about wine in very archaic ways, um, you're, you're going to be ignoring a large part of our population. There are studies, well, Stats Canada the most recent thing from them where they were trying to forecast, you know, in the future, this is what, you know, Canada is going to look like. It was something like 40, only 40% of Canada was going to be of European descent, like that white Caucasoid descent. And everything else was going to be from other countries that have immigrated over here. So if this is the case, the more people need to be doing or talking about what I'm talking about and trying to get more people to, to discover new wines and try new wines and pair it with their food. Otherwise, the market... What do you do? It 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 dies off with the with the you know or 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 diminishes as you know that that group of people tends to 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 get smaller, right? Those those people that have been talking about wine and making wine snobby and making wine seem like it's a barrier to anyone else, which leads sure. me to vinequity. Um, vinequity aims to ensure that people who identify as BIPOC. Um, work in all aspects of the wine industry and they're given equitable treatment and opportunities to access. And like we said, you're one of the founding members of Vin Equity. Tell us more about this organization. This is uh, incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, like many things that have recently started, this came um, what we call like the black reckoning. So uh, with the murder of George Floyd, you know, everybody was like, Oh, we're going to make change and so on. And so, all of the people on Vinequity are uh, were female. The founding members are female and people of color. Um, the seven of us that founded the group. Uh, so we were like, well, we we want to do something, but what what can we impact? And we're all in wine and so on. And so we said, okay, well, let's start something that will allow us to amplify BIPOC voices in wine. And so 
we have uh, two really big streams that we follow. One is mentorship. And so we'll connect um, BIPOC folk who are, want to get into wine or they're in wine, but very early in their career and they maybe they want to pivot in their career. Um, and we'll connect them with industry pundits, people who are experts in the field and they spend some time together one-on-one and they, they get mentorship that way. And a lot of those relationships continue past the six months term, which is wonderful, which is what you want. So you've got someone like a sounding board who's gone down this path before you. Uh, and so we're giving the, the BIPOC folk in our community access and introduction to, to folk that they otherwise wouldn't meet. And I'll say it to that, you know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, why aren't all the mentors BIPOC? So first of all, an obvious one is there's not enough of us in leadership positions. Mm. So that's dumb. Two, I want to make sure I'm giving people access to like the experts, the best in field. Like why is this person where they're at in this area and this discipline that I want to be in. I want to take the, my, my BIPOC member and put them with that person. Whoever's best in field, I don't care what color you are. You could be purple. But if you're best in field, I want you to mentor someone on my team. And then we also do scholarships um, because wine education is not cheap. It, it's not so much the cost of the courses. I mind you, they can be sizable as well as you get more advanced. It's the cost of the study wines. And in order for you to pass these courses, like you need to be tasting all the time. So that's not cheap. Mm-hmm. So that's what Venequity does. And so we've been around since 2020. We're two years old and going strong. Congratulations. And this is important too. If you are in the wine industry and listening to our programs, you can donate to Vin Equity. Uh, so check out the website. Once again, I'll have it on our um, on our, on our show notes, but make sure that you also contribute in any way that you can to sort of, you know, uh, change the, the way the wine industry looks. Uh, Beverly, can I ask you about that? Your, your, um, now sort of a, a mentor and a leader in this world. But, I, you know, I, so I, I tell a joke on stage about the cottage. And I jokingly say, you know, when I get invited to the cottage, that's a big deal because the cottage is typically where white people go for two days a week to get away from ethnic people, right? So, and then half the crowd goes, hey, and I go, hey, come on, I've been, I know. I take a look around and I go, oh, I'm the only guy here. Okay, this, this, is the, uh, this is a unique experience. I mean, you would have had that from day one. You would have been like, I am probably the only person of color, if not the only black woman in a room, in a room full of people. And so did you view that as intimidating? Did you view that as an opportunity? I I would love to know how that felt uh, as you were starting out. You know what's so funny? Um, I grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo when, you know, back when I was growing up in Kitchener, it was, wasn't a lot of multiculturalism. There. Sure. Heavily, heavily German population for, for our listeners who Correct. wouldn't know Kitchener-Waterloo, white and German. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I kind of feel like when I go into a room and I'm the only black person, I, I mean, I'm aware of who I am, but I, that's not the thing that drives my thinking. You <laughs> know, funny right. story. I remember being young. And so in Kitchener, they do like Little Miss Oktoberfest and Miss Oktoberfest and whatever. And, and for these things, for Little Miss Oktoberfest, you had to know how to like model and like smile and dance and public speak. And these were all things as a child I was very comfortable doing. I was like in dance for so long in competition. I could do all of that. So I said to my mom, I think I must have been eight. I'm like, listen, I want to sign up for Little Miss Oktoberfest. And she was like, I don't think it's for like us. Like, I was like, no, I'm doing it. So, you know, my mom, not wanting to deny me what I wanted to do, I went and I did Little Miss Oktoberfest. Clearly, so it was on one little black girl <laughs> and a bunch of little blonde girls. 
fine. Mm. But I was really good at my thing. So there was no way they could deny me. I mean, I came third. I didn't win the title. But I was like, you know what? Boom. So that that mm. just to say, I think it's like my personality type and also growing up where I grew up, um, that 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 that's not the thing that comes to mind. So much so that when someone says something or does something to make me aware that I'm different, I'm like, oh shit. Or can I swear on this? Yes, show? of course. <laughs> Ali does it all the time. <laughs> First of all, Marco, that's more on your brand. But yeah, of course you can. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, then I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, I didn't yeah, that wasn't what I was thinking, but I guess that is true. I guess I am different. Um, I totally, yeah. totally get that. I completely relate. You know, I, I joke about this too, that, you know, you're, you're the sum of your experiences. And when you have, you know, quote unquote, Canadian experiences, you know, playing hockey, learning blue rodeo songs by heart, you're like, ah, oh, you don't wake up every day and go, okay, Brown, let's do this. You know, it's not, you're just, you just who, who you are and you don't think often about your, and usually it's something kind of like unpleasant that stops you and reminds you like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, I forgot about what I look like here to some people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's very interesting. So that was never an impediment. It was, it was always, th- this was your thing. You were used to being a, a solo act in a, in a sea of, uh, of whiter people typically. And then, but then at some point you become aware that in the market, there aren't very many BIPOC people getting into wine. So you saw, you turn that into an opportunity, I guess. Yeah. Correct. And you know what? I think if you are someone who grew up as I did and you're comfortable in that space, then you need to be that voice to help others who aren't going to be comfortable in the space because they didn't have those experiences that you have. And so that is what I remember and what I think about when I do these things. That's great. Amazing. We uh, we both have this regret, Marco and I, that we weren't able to come to one of your live events recently. Uh, Marco was, um, you know, probably sunbathing at his cottage. I don't know what he was doing. Someone has but, to uh, do it, right? Someone, someone has to do it. It's tough work. I know. No, you. I know you weren't. You had a lot of work that weekend, and I was away for kids stuff. But um, I want to ask you about that. You know, because as a wine consultant, some of the work you do, you don't see the reaction to it for many months, if ever live event is like instant gratification almost, right? You're seeing how many people are interested in what I'm saying, how many people are connecting just with their eyes and their, their, you know, physical reactions to the things I'm saying and describing. So, um, tell me what the live events are like for you. That's gotta be a whole different world. Uh, so the, the one that I was trying to get you guys to come to was the outdoor festival. And so I will say normally we do, small dinners by small like 40 50 person dinners where we go and we take over the restaurant and that to me is more intimate and so i talk about pairings and i can handle the room and i i I love doing that i love talking about food and wine pairings and watching people and, and their experience with that but the festival this was the first year we did the outdoor festival and we did that because we wanted more people to get exposed to this whole concept of pairing wine with ethnic food. Um, so it was priced so that you can choose how much money you want to spend that day. Whereas our, our formal dinners are like $150 a person. And so that's the price and not everybody can do that. Um, so I felt it was really important to bring the experience to as many people as possible. So we did the outdoor event and it was clear that this is something that the city needed, that mm. GTHA needed. We, it was, very popular. We had to close the doors early. We couldn't take any more people. Um, mm. And we had a lot of space, but uh, very quickly I learned that 
I, I underestimated how many people would be into that. And you know, when you do an event, you don't have time to sit back and like an event that size to sit back and look, oh, look, this is wonderful. Oh, look, so-and-so's over there. I had no time for any of that. Like I had to go here, go here, you know, talk to media, do that stuff. But at one point I stopped and I just looked up and what was present was Toronto. It was a lovely mixture of cultures. And to solidify that, we did like a post-event survey. And, you know, we asked the question about like, what do you uh, recognize yourself as? White, black, da, da. And the statistics, exactly Toronto. I loved it. It wasn't dominated by one particular culture. Everyone was there to participate. And that's the one thing from that event that made me smile. And I was like, I felt so warm inside to see all cultures there. It was wonderful. That's great. That's amazing. That's great. Live events yeah. are the best. Yeah. I have a few scenarios that I would like to run past you, Beverly. These are scenarios where I'd like your opinion on the wine you would suggest. I've picked a wine, so so I, I also want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. And Ali, if you want to throw in a wine in the I'll just throw in that you're wrong each time. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So like that makes you feel comfortable. Really, are yeah. you cool if I give you a couple of scenarios? I'll tell you the one I think, and you you tell me if I'm right or wrong, and give us the wine that you would you would pair with it. All right, let's do it. All right, scenario number one, you. Me, Ali, are at a typical brunch at a fancy restaurant in a shishi part of town. None of us want mimosas. I know Ali has an aversion to mimosas. <laughs> didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't I used say- to bring samosas to parties as a young man, and then French people, I know, and then French people would be like, oh, Ali, you brought mimosas. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I brought greasy Samosas. I did not bring champagne and orange juice. You are you got to really lower your expectations. Somebody gave you the wrong word. You guys are confused. Anyway, it's a little bit of a minor PTSD from my youth, but no, I love a mimosa, but we're not having it in this scenario. To me, it tastes right. like champagne that's gone off. We are having eggs, pancakes, brioches, sausages. We want a red wine. So the challenge is thrown down here. I'm thinking... I've got the menu. I look at a wine. I turn to you, Beverly, and I say, Beaujolais Nouveau? Question mark. Would that work in this scenario? First of all, not Beaujolais, Beaujolais, but anyway. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are hilarious. (laughs) So um, I, because I want you to not feel, you know, that I'm beating you up with your wine. Oh, you can beat me up. Trust me. Mm -hmm. By saying... Maybe not that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wrong. I'm wrong. First wrong. one out, Ali. Maybe not that is so sweet. It's so gentle. Good for you. Good so for you. what, uh, because you talked about pancakes and brioche. And so I'm going to think of something that because of winemaking is going to give you like some texture on the palate, but not be too crazy tannic so that we can enjoy it with like the eggs and everything else that's happening on our plate. So I'm probably going to go with a Pinot Noir and I'll probably go with like uh, um, Oregon Pinot Noir Um, because it's it's the, or even one from central Otago. Like those two areas to me are the the in between from uh, Burgundy and California, two areas that people know obviously for Pinot Noir. And they're in between. And the, these wines may see some oak treatment, um, but it's not the dominating factor. So you've got something happening from 
for texture. Um, these areas are generally higher elevation and then the soils will also give you great uh, acidity on there for cleansing our palate. Um, but all that lovely red fruit and there is some tannin in there to go with the, the meat that you talked about on, on our plate. But I'm probably going to go with a Central Otago Pinot Noir or uh, Oregon Pinot Noir. Okay. Tell me where, excuse my ignorance, and tell me where Central Otago is. What area is that? New Zealand. New the Zealand. South Island. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was thinking parts of Oakville were, that's, yeah. where, that's where I was. Okay, no. All right, scenario number two. Ali, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, Beverly, ready? Yep. Here we go. We're in Texas. We're having barbecue. Riesling. Oh, I'm not done. Ali forgot his cowboy hat. Ali, Ali forgot his boots, his cowboy hats. We're representing Canada in the South. We're having ribs slathered with the Texas barbecue sauce. All right. My pick. And once again, we'll see if I'm right or wrong. I'm saying Lambrusco with that. Okay. Okay. Better yeah, I'm not mad at that. Better than before, right? I'll, I'll take that yeah. as I'll take that as a win. Yeah. But you're not you're not throwing down the condition that we have to have red this time. No, no, I'm not. There's no conditions. Wine, right? I'm just no thinking Lambrusco wine to f- go with sweet and sticky, and, fun uh, wine, tangy. effervescent ribs. I don't know. That's where I was going, but uh, Beverly's giving me an okay, so I'm gonna take that as a win for myself. Yeah, totally. You know where uh, what would be really good too mm. is. You said earlier you, you're not a rosé person, and that's because you haven't drank like, enough of the good stuff. I agree. Um, rosé is something that I drink all year round. And if we were outside and we're barbecuing and we've got ribs and all that kinds of good stuff happening, I'm going to go and get um, a rosé. Maybe it won't be from Provence. It might be something from like uh, Sicily um, made with Norello Mascalese. So I know it's got like – it came from a red grape that's got like some – you know, some power, um, but done in such a way, macerated in such a way that it's lighter. We can chill it. We can be outside. It's going to stand up to the barbecue. Love it. Love nice. it. Okay. All right. Last scenario for me. I don't know, Ali, if you have any ethnic cuisines you want to find out, uh, wines or, or whatnot, but I'm going to give you my last scenario here. Uh, our listeners who are listening from around the world, when they think Canada and cuisine, this one always comes, comes up. So we're in Quebec, in rural Quebec. We're expecting Ali's French to be better than it is, but we're, of course, sorely disappointed. We're having heaps of poutine. The curds are melted. The gravy is lush. I'm thinking an Australian semillon. That's not a bad pick. It's not a bad pick because it's... um, It's got great texture uh, on the palate to stand up to that. You know what I would like to have with that? Yes, tell us. I would love to have a sparkling wine made in the traditional method, so maybe not so expensive as champagne, but I spent like five years on leaves or something. Um, So like a Cremant d'Alsace, I I would crush that with the poutine all day long. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now you're making my mouth water. Now I want. Me too. (laughs) I don't know if it's the wine or the poutine, but my mouth is watering also. What a ringing endorsement that do, was. Do you oh, like God. how all my scenarios have Ali falling short or, or disappointing us on of our course, travels? Of course. Well, okay. So let me let me end this with, okay. with uh, speaking of something that falls short. Um, <laughs> I used to manage an Indian restaurant. And I first of all, I hated managing people. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like telling people what to do. 
and I was managing this restaurant and it was always a war front of house, back of house. So I have some bad memories of that. And I also, you know, would talk to clients, these regular customers who would complain about, you know, their weight. But meanwhile, they'd come in and order butter chicken and finish every single drop of it, get extra naan. So all this cream sauce Mm. is gone. And, you know, in my head, knowing what I know about Indian and Pakistani cuisine, it's not a, it's not a frequent thing that you're fed. People, you know, you'd think going to Canadian Indian restaurants that, oh, butter chicken is three times a day. People eat butter chicken. Maybe once a month you get something that, um, you know, the, the sort of regal in nature, you know? So I'm asking on behalf of others, I'm not a butter chicken enthusiast, but I am asking on, on behalf of others, what is a wine to pair with a dish like butter chicken, which has uh, some spice that comes out, a little bit of heat, not much, uh, but gen- like that creaminess. What do you go, what do you do in those situations? Yeah, you know, um, I, I talk about Italy quite a bit. I, I, I actually, that is my favorite wine country if i couldn't uh, Italy. really anymore than this moment <laughs> this was unnecessary like it just tipped could have done this off air right could have done this when we stopped recording Beverly. This, no this, <laughs> this thank you you know i take all my wine back all the mistakes this i made this is the done, moment man. for me on the podcast beverly thank you thank you <laughs> well it's because the wine styles in italy range from north to south east to again you could just have so much anyhow north east italy um, like Alto Arge, the Veneto. If she they, says Friuli, I'm going to have a heart attack. If she says yeah, Friuli, yeah, yeah. that's Friuli. where my mother's from. If I couldn't love you more than the moment we just had, now twice as much all the love in the world. She's hit the region my mother's from. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait to hear. I'm, I will stop talking Beverly. right now. Beverly, this is a man who gets no recognition, no love. Nobody cares about anything he does in this world. So you're really, you're doing God's work here. So thank you for that. <laughs> but yes, what is the Italian wine or wines right, so you would pick here? A really good producer, their Pinot Grigio. People make fun of Pinot Grigio all the time because they see the um, the ones in the LCBO for like, you know, eight, nine dollars. I don't even know how much they are now, but they're, they're just uh, effervescent, uh, flat, like, whatever, but a well-made Pinot Grigio from an Italian producer in that Northeast Italy region is fire, 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 fire with our food. So good. So when I'm stuck on appearing for a restaurant, I'm going there and grabbing like a a producer that's doing a Pinot Grigio or a white blend because I know based on climate, based on elevation, I'm going to get great acidity, but based on winemaking styles, I'm going to get that creaminess from Lee's and malolactic transformation on the palate. Boom. So good. Anytime you want to go to Friuli and check out those wines, I'm with you, Beverly. (laughs) And what a great thing. My culture, your culture, Ali, working well together here uh, on the plate. It's nice. Loving it. It's nice to see. It's a thing of beauty. Uh, Beverly, thank you so much. Your enthusiasm is infectious. And uh, I think all of our mouths got watering on this as, as you might expect, but, but yeah, you know, I have a, I'm on a full stomach. I didn't think to be fully mouth watering like this. Um, Tell us where people can find you. Are you um, like exclusively uh, Toronto, Ontario based? Are you, do you have travel in the future? Are there people outside of uh, Canada who can find you in, in different ways, if not live than online? Yeah, so BeverlyCrandon.com is where we house uh, all of the events that are happening. 
We are planning our Fall Into Spice series, so there's going to be some announcements about that. We have a really exciting addition planned for Fall Into Spice that you guys would just have to come to. Um, but next year for our Spring Into Spice, we're going to do the same festival concept here in Toronto, but that's going to be traveling. So people will be Amazing. able to see the Spring Into Spice experience in other cities uh, in Ontario at this moment. This is Very amazing. nice. And uh, your wine consulting, is that something, do people, can they hire you anywhere in the world? Can they fly you in and get your, uh, <laughs> get your expertise? I oh, forget the Zoom fl- stuff. Yeah, if you're flying me someplace, yes, let's, let's make that happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with my consulting, and a lot of people are like, oh, you're pigeonholing yourself. But I'm like, I think that there, I, I feel there's a need. So my consulting is helping ethnic restaurants, and I use that term because I can't find a better word for ethnic food, ethnic restaurants with their wine list. Uh. So no more will you go to like, you know, the roti place on the corner where you sit down like, oh my God, do you have any wine? And they say, oh, I have a white and I have a red. Like now they'll be like, oh yes, we've got this wine or this wine that goes wonderful with your food. Mm. Because restaurants, uh, you know this, obviously from managing them and working in restaurants, like money is made on your beverage program. And unfortunately, because people who sell wines don't understand those cuisines, they never go to those restaurants and give them advice. So our yeah. consulting is there. It's like going into those restaurants and helping them with their beverage program to, to, so they can see elevation in profits. So we can talk to them about pouring only five ounces instead of the nine that they try to give you in the wine glass, you know, yeah, yeah, all right. of that. So that's, that's our consulting. And then there's some private consulting that happens as well. I, I say that like, yeah, some private consulting. People mm-hmm. who want to build up their sellers, but... As you can tell, the work that I'm more passionate about when it comes to consulting is working with those restaurants. You know, these That's wine true. reps need to speak to you too. Like these wine houses need you to speak to wine reps because it's a shame that wine reps aren't going to these restaurants. I worked in Italian restaurants every day. We'd have a different wine rep going in there trying to hawk their wine or telling us why their wine pairs well with our food. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that these wine reps don't have the education that you could provide for them to go to different restaurants, different ethnic, delicious restaurants to show them the wine that should be on their menu. I agree. I've talked about this before in the show. My father-in-law, who I admire quite a bit, immigrated here from Pakistan, uh, started selling insurance in Saskatchewan. They lived in Saskatoon. And this guy would drive five, six, seven, eight hours to farms that nobody else was going to to sell insurance on like he was doing the work other people would do. And what do you know? Top salesman year after year, he and his wife sent to Mexico, sent to Puerto Rico, sent to the central America on, on the top salesman. Th- right. Cause he was doing stuff. Other people wouldn't do. If there's a wine rep out there listening, do the work other people aren't doing. This is an untapped market. And Beverly, you spoke about the same thing when we were talking about wine and access to wine musicians get it. Musicians do collaborations with, you know, Latin performers, knowing how big the Hispanic market is. They do collaborations with Indian performers, knowing how many Indian music fans are. Wine shouldn't be regarded as anything. uh, And I think the snobbery sometimes gets in the way of that or the stuffiness, I should say that, you know, that, but, but I think you are clearly working hard to, uh, to squash that. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you're doing. It's great. Thank you for having me, you guys. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Beverly, let us know when Spice uh, Fall Into Spice happens, and we'll mention it on the podcast um, in the next few months when it's coming up. And uh, we'll let our listeners know where they can go to check that out if they're in Toronto. 
And you guys let me know when we're going for poutine and uh, come on Belfast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This can't just end on a conversation. This has to happen in person. With pleasure. All right. BeverlyCrandon.com is where people will go and see you. And uh, and thank you so much for uh, for lighting up our day today. Marco, thank you. Huh? Good for you. You you started a little pale and now you're just red in the face with joy. If only the listeners could see you. It's true. Uh, just this Friulian excitement that has overtaken your body. It's nice to see you like this as well. Uh, this has been a wonderful episode of this podcast is delicious. Marco, tell people where they can uh, where they can find us. Social media. If they haven't already. Just type in this podcast is delicious. You can always email us if you have an idea or if you have a, a question about wine and you're like, I don't know what goes with Icelandic food. We'll answer it the best way we can. We'll talk to Beverly. It is this podcast is delicious at gmail.com. And wherever you listen to us, I'm going to go uh, confidently say this was a five-star episode. So please do give us those five stars. They make a difference. They get us on uh, on, on radars. That uh, they, they give us they give people access to us. Uh, uh, no different from the wines and the access uh, to wines. Thank you so much. Until we eat and drink again, we'll see you all soon.